Welcome to Res Talk, your source for the latest news, opinions, and training from top building performance, rating, and auditing experts. Here's your host, committed building science enthusiast and registered professional engineer, Bill Spohn. Welcome back to another episode of the Res Talk podcast. It's our goal here at Res Talk to communicate late breaking news and thoughtful insights about all the topics in the rapidly expanding world of residential energy ratings to all the stakeholders in the ResNet ecosystem. So whether you're a housing consumer, rater, builder, realtor, or appraiser, you want to hear about the evolving trends in home energy ratings. To the ResNet community, we hear you and wish to engage. Now it's worth repeating, HVAC equipment is often the largest energy-consuming system in home. While listeners have likely run a duct leakage or blower airflow test, how do we arrive at the straightforward, almost simple test equipment and methods that are used today? What is the science behind the tests? In today's podcast, we continue down the technical trail with part two of a three-part series on cracking open the details of the ANSI ResNet ECA ICC Standard 310. We're joined by Steve Rogers, president of the Energy Conservatory and an expert in pressure and flow measurements. Steve will introduce us to the technology used to measure duct leakage and blower airflow and the power of proper diagnostic methods and techniques. Now, some of the educational resources mentioned in the podcast might be found in a link in the show notes at hvacairflow.com. That includes materials prepared by Ed Janowak, manager of HVAC Design for ECA. After listening, you'll better understand the importance of getting duct leakage and blower airflow dialed in. So let's listen to Steve Rogers teach us about the ResNet ANSI ECA ICC 310 HVAC standard, task two and three, duct leakage and blower airflow. Good morning, Steve. Hey, Bill. How are you? I'm happy to be here. Good. Great to have you. You might be a new voice. I was going to say a new face, but we're not doing video. (laughs) You're a new voice, perhaps, for some of the listeners. So give us some background on your role as president at the Energy Conservatory or tech. I came to the Energy Conservatory probably seven years ago, I think. And my role then was the engineering and operations manager. I've been looking for a new opportunity. And after meeting Gary Nelson and the team at TEC, things worked out that he was looking for new leadership at the Energy Conservatory and saw what he liked in me. And so I took over in 2017 as the president and owner of the Energy Conservatory and have had a great ride ever since then. It's super interesting work and fit very nicely with my previous experience. I've been involved with pressure and airflow measurement for 25 plus years. And so that's what TEC's instruments are all about. A blower door test is measuring pressure and airflow. A duct blaster test is measuring pressure and airflow. When we look at the true flow measurements that we make in an air handler, it's pressure and airflow. So That's it. That's what it all covers. How about a little bit deeper into your past, some of the work you did before TEC? Okay, so most of my career, I worked for Emerson, but not the division of Emerson that HVAC people are familiar with that works on HVAC equipment for residential purposes. I worked for a division of Emerson that made process control and measurement devices for industrial processes. So things like pressure measurements in a pulp and paper mill or in a power plant or in a chemical plant or food and beverage bottling processing plant. So all of those industries use instruments to measure 
flow of gases and liquids, measure level, measure pressure. And that's where I cut my teeth and really understood airflow and other flow, particularly if it's based on a differential pressure. And then from there, I went to work for Dwyer Instruments for about a year and relocated the family to Northwest Indiana. And the job was great. I like working with good people at Dwyer Instruments, but didn't work out for my family. And so we call that the Indiana experiment. It was a failed experiment. (laughs) So it's interesting. So your technology background is industrial. What do you think the impact that has on what TEC does in terms of product design? Is it better or easier? How would you characterize that coming from an industrial to say more like residential measurements more so? Yeah. So I've told people this before. In some ways, it's more difficult on the industrial side because they have things like instruments that need to be explosion proof or intrinsically safe. And that makes it more difficult to make the instrument. But on the application side, in terms of what you're actually measuring, I think the residential measurements can be significantly more challenging. I've been involved with probably hundreds of different applications for measuring airflow from gas pipelines to steam, water, compressed air, and all sorts of things. And out of all of those, some of the most difficult to measure are in your house. Airflow through the air handler or furnace is super difficult to measure because the duct is never straight and because whatever you do affects the back pressure and that affects the measurement. That's one that's really difficult. Another one that's really difficult is how much air is coming out of each supply register, the flow hood application typically. So I've seen all sorts of stuff, but it actually turns out that to measure natural gas in a pipeline at 8,000 PSI, it's pretty straightforward. Not that hard. (laughs) But airflow through your furnace is pretty hard to get right. (laughs) Interesting. So that's a good segue into the real topic today, and that's ResNet ECA ANSI Standard 310 and the 2020 edition, which really is segued from previous editions. And there's a workflow, which is the heart and soul of this. And today's topic we've talked about with another guest, Alex Mean, about design review. Today we'll be talking about two topics for you or with you, total duct leakage and blower fan airflow. So why would it be so important to get, we'll start with duct leakage, total duct leakage. Why is it important to get that right? I'll give you a really good example that we just learned about last week. So many people know Chris Hughes that works with us in the HVAC side, and he's been doing a lot of testing and development of our TrueFlow device and integrating it with MeasureQuick. That's going to be, it was just released, and that we can send data back and forth between MeasureQuick and our app and then send the results from our app back to MeasureQuick. During the course of that testing, he tested a system in Louisiana, and he was getting a large discrepancy between the airflow measurement at the filter grill and what MeasureQuick was saying based on the psychrometer measurements and the airflow that's calculated in MeasureQuick. And he had inspected the system and said, duct leakage is not a problem here. He did a visual inspection and he's been in HVAC for 20 years and he was confident there was not much duct leakage that was going to, because any duct leakage between the filter location where the true flow goes and the cabinet, that's airflow that MeasureQuick would pick up, but the true flow won't pick up that airflow. Interesting. 
so he started digging deeper and we said, well, okay, you got to do a duct blaster test. And the return box on this was super short. It was basically just like a two foot by two foot by two foot box that went from the ceiling of the house to the air handler in the attic. So he got out the duct blaster and he isolated the cabinet and the return, just basically a box from the supply so he could measure duct leakage just on the return side. Now, again, he's inspected this and determined that it's tight. There's no problem here. When he hooked up the duct blaster and started measuring how much leakage was happening at the operating pressure, it's like 90 CFM. Now, 90 CFM coming in the return at attic conditions means that the air handler cabinet is seeing much hotter, more humid air and more air than is going through the filter grill. And the difference was causing a fairly large discrepancy in what MeasureQuick said and what we said. So Chris and his dad got up in the attic and they started sealing. They started caulking and taping and masking everything up and they got it down to 18 CFM of leakage. And guess what? Now MeasureQuick and the TrueFlow measurements of airflow line up perfectly or within less than 5%. And so that illustrates with a very concrete example why you have to get the duct leakage down to a very manageable level. Otherwise, you're paying to condition attic air. Nobody wants to pay for that. (laughs) Sure. And it's really a waste, waste of energy, waste of effort. And this concept of total duct leakage, you highlighted that there. And, And then the 310 standard does refer to the NC ResNet ICC 380 standard. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? It's more of a detail-oriented on how to do the tests. Yeah, I don't follow the details exactly of what's in the ICC standard, but that I know that they are the standard to follow. It's basically your standard duct blaster test. What's done is, you mean to describe the process? Is that what you're thinking? Yeah, describe the process. A standard duct leakage test consists of sealing up all the supply and return registers. Just to contrast with what I just described that Chris Hughes found out in that case, he was trying to find out how much leakage was only on the return side. When you do a total duct leakage test, you're testing the supply and the return at the same time. And that's important because it's not just return air leakage that will cause energy loss. Air leaking from the supply is just as bad. So the way that a standard duct leakage test is done is by masking off all of the supply grills with either permanent spring-loaded caps that seal the register grill to the sheetrock, or it's often done with a duct masking material that's adhesive. So you cover up all the supply ducts and the return ducts, and then, well, you either cover up the return ducts if there's multiples. Or connect to it. Or you connect at the return duct, you connect the duct testing fan. The TEC duct blaster is the name that a lot of people know. So then the fan is used to ramp the pressure in the ducts up to 25 pascals. That's the standard testing pressure. And then we know that the same amount of air that's required to pressurize the duct system to 25 coming in through the fan is the same amount that's leaking out through all the leaks. So once you maintain a steady pressure, then airflow in equals airflow out at 25 pascals, and then whatever's going through the fan is the same amount that's leaking out through the ducts. And that's how we get our our measurement of duct leakage at 25 pascals. Got it. Why do we use this process? It seems like there's only one process to do really total duct leakage testing. 
why do we use this process? What's the background to it? And why is it important to follow this one sequence that you mentioned? So the reason that tests are done this way is it's a standardized, easy way to quantify the leakage of the duct system. There are other ways to measure duct leakage, but they're usually more complicated and less accurate. And people that get really into the nitty gritty of duct testing may know that the leakage of CFM at 25 pascals that I measure might be more or less than will actually leak when the system is in operation. And the reason for that is because the pressure in the ducts won't be 25 pascals throughout the entire system. It's going to be higher near the cabinet and lower near the supply registers at the end of the line. And it also varies from system to system. Some systems might operate very close to 25 pascals. Others, if you've got a big restrictive supply duct system, you might be operating at 50 or 75, even 100 pascals in the supply duct. But the 25 pascals is chosen because it's close to what a system should be operating at on average. If you take the average between the highest pressure near the cabinet and the lowest pressure near the supply register, it probably should be operating around 25 pascals. But compared to other methods of measuring, so for example, if you wanted to know exactly how much is leaking under operating conditions, you'd really want to set the system up in normal operating mode at high stage cooling or whatever. Then you'd want to measure how much airflow goes through the cabinet compared to how much comes out all the supply registers under normal operating conditions. Basic math. What goes in must come out. Yeah. Must come out where you want it to. That's the key. Yeah, exactly. And the problem with that method is you need a really, really accurate airflow measurement because you're subtracting two large numbers. You probably, bigger system, you might have 1,200 CFM. And you're really trying to find out if you have leakage of 100 or 200 or 50. And in that situation, if you're measuring 1,200 within 5% at the cabinet and you're measuring 1,200 within 5%, let me just do the math here, 1,200 within 5% is 60 CFM. So if you want to know if you're at 50 and all your measurements are 1,200 CFM at 5%, well, you're plus or minus 60 and you're trying to find out if you're at 50, your error is the same order of magnitude as the number you're trying to measure. And so using a flow hood, it can be done that way, but it's not very accurate because of small percentages of big numbers <laughs> cause big errors. And so it's just better to standardize the measurement. And now your measurement becomes 3 to 5% of what the duct testing fan is measuring. And it's actually measuring that 50 CFM that you're interested in directly. And I think it's important to point out the duct testing fan actually has a sensor in it. So in addition to creating the pressure, it measures the flow that's happening at that pressure through your digital manometer connected to it. So people have to keep in mind, it's not just a fan. It's a precision fan. It's controllable, variable speed. It's got a sensor in it. There's a lot going on in that one piece of equipment. Yeah, exactly. We sometimes get the question, well, can I just use a box fan to do my blower door test? Or can I use a desk fan to do my duct blaster test? And the problem is that those fans don't measure airflow. Yeah, you need a measuring device that's built into it. So we talked about total duct leakage, which is task two in the ResNet ANSI ECHO 310 standard. 
let's talk a little bit about the blower fan airflow because that gets into several authorized methods for doing it. Probably each have their trade-offs, their pluses and their minuses. If we could perhaps work through those and we could start at the top, which is the flow grid, which I think to me in a sense that they're rated and perhaps in the order of performance. Maybe I'm making a little bias here, but I don't know how they chose the order that goes in the standard, but we're happy that flow grid is <laughs> <this> number one. <laughs> okay. So what is the flow grid for people? That is like a generic name. There's a product name and it happens to be an exclusive product. No one else makes a flow grid that I know of. So tell us about that. It's your product. The true flow grid is a device that goes into the system in place of the filter. So you take pressure measurements with the filter in place, and then you remove the filter and put the true flow grid in its place. And the, the true flow grid is then able to measure the airflow directly. And by looking at the pressure in the system before when the filter was in and after when the true flow grid is in, we're able to then make a correction and calculate exactly how much flow was going through the system when the filter was in place. Because, of course, we don't care how much airflow is going through when the true flow grid is in there. We want to know how much airflow is going through when the normal filter was installed. Yeah, the real operating condition. And so there's, for lack of a better term, a little bit of black magic going on behind the scenes, but it's very well calculated black magic that allows you to say this is the airflow. Yeah. And just to give a little bit of insight into that, if you're familiar with the legacy true flow, the true flow grid is not a new device. It's been out for 20 plus years and has been used effectively. And if you're familiar with the legacy true flow device, that calculation that's going on to correct the airflow to be what was happening when the filter was in place, that correction was a little bit more apparent. You could see what was going on by the way you keyed it into the manometer. With the new digital true flow, it's based on a smartphone app. And so the same calculation is made, but it's a little bit more opaque what's actually happening under the hood because we make the pressure measurement and then we just tell you leave the pressure measurement in place when you make the flow measurement. So it's actually measuring the airflow through the true flow grid and simultaneously it's measuring the pressure again. And that's not apparent from the app that that's what's happening, but it's the same correction we've made for 20 years. It works exactly the same way. It's just not as apparent that's what's happening. <laughs> and you did mention sort of the nuance of the digital true flow works. It, the sensors are inside the duct with the measuring plate, and it relays information to the app. So there's no hose connection. There's no wire connection. It just sits in there and communicates to the app externally. Exactly. So the original true flow, as you alluded to, had tubing that you would have to snake out through the filter door if you had a filter slot and connect it to the manometer. The new one, we got rid of the tubes and this flow sensor is built into the grid. So it just, the whole thing slides into your filter slot, close the door, seal it up, and then it's communicating with Bluetooth, sending us the signal from the true flow grid itself. And then also from a manometer, which can be the DG1000, which is our blower door and duct blaster manometer, or it could be the new DG8, which is just a more basic manometer but also communicates Bluetooth. So there's also a blower fan airflow test process called pressure matching. Can you describe that a little bit? So the pressure matching method is another method that's been around of measuring total system airflow using a duct testing fan or duct blaster. And that method's been out for a long time, but it's a little complicated and a little fiddly 
because you need to set up the duct testing fan, connect it to the cabinet, and then you're matching the pressure that was in the plenum when the system was in normal operation. There is a possible benefit with that in that if you're doing the duct leakage test and the total system airflow test at the same time, meaning you didn't do the duct leakage test at rough-in, you're doing it at final inspection. Then you can basically hook the duct testing fan up to the cabinet and pressurize for your duct leakage test and then keep your system blanked off on the return side, but just take the masking off all the supplies and turn the system on. So without having to move or rehook up your fan, you can then do the total system air fan. The way that that works is you're diverting the inlet to the air handler or furnace so that all the airflow goes through the duct testing fan. So through its sensor. Yeah, through its sensor. That's exactly the point is you need to get the airflow to go through the flow sensor so you can measure the airflow. So once you've set it up so that all the airflow goes through the duct testing fan, then you're going to match the pressure in the supply plenum. So the first step is to measure pressure in the supply plenum without a duct testing fan, just normal operation. So to speak, normal. Yeah. Yeah. And we call that the normal system operating pressure. And once you've measured that, you'll lock that into your manometer and then hook up your fan and then turn the system on using the circulation fan. And then normally you'll need to turn on the duct testing fan and ramp its pressure up until you get back to that same normal system operating pressure. And once you've done that, then you know that if the pressure in the supply duct is the same, then the airflow is the same. And now all the airflow is going through the duct testing fan, so you can measure what the total system airflow is. It's a little clunky and cumbersome unless you're doing your duct leakage at the same time, but it's been around for a long time. It's kind of a tried and true way to do it. And when you say hook up the fan, can you verbally describe the visual on that? So depending on what type of system it is, if you have a single filter grill, then the easiest way to hook up the duct testing fan is to connect the flex duct discharge to the filter grill. That's the simplest way to do it in that kind of a system. If you've got a Midwestern style system where you got to return in every room, then what you need to do typically is connect the duct testing fan to the furnace cabinet, and then you'll have to blank off the return. So put like a garbage bag over the filter and then put the filter in the slot so that none of the air is coming from the return. It's all coming in through the blower cabinet door. It's the new return. Yeah. Yeah. And so depending on what type of system, you're either going to go through the filter grill or through the cabinet itself. And because the previous test we mentioned, total duct leakage is done at a test pressure. And this also, the pressure matching has to meet the pressures of the system. Are there limits on the size of system that you can do this kind of testing on? Either one of them, I should have asked before. The limits for the TrueFlow method, TrueFlow grid is a five-ton system. It'll go up to uh, 2,500 CFM. And normally that's made with the correction. So what I mean by that is the device itself can measure up to 2,000 CFM, but in a big system like that, a five-ton system, the true flow is probably going to be a little more restrictive than your filter would be. If you've got a five-ton system, you better have a lot of filter area. And so because of that, you're probably measuring 2,000 or less at with the true flow in, but 
with the static pressure correction, we'll probably be correcting it upwards. So you might be correcting up to as much as 2,500 CFM when there's 2,000 going through the grid itself. Sure. Now that's the digital true flow. Does the legacy true flow operate on the same characteristic? The legacy true flow came in two sizes and the larger one was less restrictive. So yeah, that it was the same range that we found with the new one. We're able to get the full range of 300 CFM with a one-ton system up to 2,500 CFM with a five-ton system out of a single grid with the correction in place. Got it. Okay. Because I want to make sure people might already have equipment, legacy equipment, and just revealing how these things work. Yeah. With the pressure matching method, you asked the same question, right? Yes, please. Yeah. With the pressure matching method depends a little bit on the system. It's going to vary system to system. The our duct blaster fan, TEC's duct blaster fan, will measure up to 1,500 CFM free air. That means if there's no back pressure, we can measure up to 1,500 CFM. However, when you're doing a pressure matching test, your back pressure is actually negative, meaning the blower fan in the cabinet is actually helping the fan out rather than pushing against it. And so you're actually able to measure 1,800, sometimes 2,000 CFM with the pressure matching method because the blower fan in the cabinet is sucking in the same direction as the duct blaster. It's like a turbo or a booster. Yeah, you got two fans. You got your, yeah, it's a twin turbo. (laughs) But that's something to look at manufacturer specifications because I know other duct testing fans are not capable of getting 1,500 CFM at free air, which means they're not going to get as high an airflow with even in the assisted motor with the air handler circulation fan assisting it. Okay, let's move on to the, again, this is task three, blower fan airflow, flow hood. Tell us about what that test entails. The flow hood method is actually fairly straightforward and fairly accurate. One thing to keep in mind is that according to the way that it's written in the standard, you can only use a flow hood on a return flow, not on a supply flow. And I think that's a smart choice they made, whoever was involved in writing the standard. Flow hoods on residential airflows have a problem, and that is the way that the airflow enters the hood can mess them up and cause large errors. You and I have talked about that before. I know you know because you've done lots of experiments with very detailed experiments for years. Yeah. But when you're measuring a return flow, it's actually a different situation because the air enters the hood from a, quote, still room. There's no momentum coming from the room when it enters the hood. And so that means entering the sensing portion of the flow hood, it's going to be nice and uniform most of the time when you're on a return. All the big errors that we found measuring flow hoods in our laboratory, that was all on supplies. On returns, they're much more reliable. But of course, it means you have to get a flow hood that's capable of measuring 2,500 CFM and that's not the small residential powered flow hoods. They don't go up that high. <laughs> so you've got to get the full size hood. And then basically you just put it on the filter return grill and measure the airflow with this system in operation. And I could think if you want to prove this to yourself, get your spoke generating device and put it in front of a supply versus a return and just watch the air. And this momentum effect can be visualized by watching the smoke. Yeah, and it's the same thing I've heard Alex Beanie and others talk about. You can blow out a candle, but you can't suck out a candle. You can't suck out a candle. (laughs) (laughs) And the reason is because, you know, once you get the air moving with your mouth, it has momentum and it'll carry it out to an arm's length. You can blow out a candle because you're putting momentum into the air. But 
when you suck air in, all the momentum is inside your body. (laughs) Maybe on to the end of that, without burning yourself. And that's like burning your measurement or burning your lips. (laughs) So you can't suck out a candle from the same distance. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) That's a good one. And then the fourth in this task three blower fan airflow is static pressure table. Give us some insights into what that means and how it works. Most manufacturers, or maybe all manufacturers, publish a table if you look in their literature, and it will tell you, if I've got the system set on the medium-high speed tap, and it's this model of fan, and I'm operating at 0.5 inches of water total external static pressure, then that correlates to this airflow. So there's a big table in the literature, and that correlates the static pressure that you measure, or the total external static pressure that you measure, to an airflow, depending on the speed tap. So when you do use this method, you have to have that table and you have to then make sure you know which speed setting the system is in. And once you do that, you can find that row and then you measure the static pressure, total external static pressure. And where you make those pressure measurements differs a little bit by which type of system it is. If it's an air handler or fan coil system, you're typically measuring at the inlet to the cabinet, which is before the evaporator coil, through the outlet after the blower. But if it's a furnace, you're measuring at the inlet to the fan blower, but you're measuring before the evaporator coil because when you get a furnace system, the evaporator coil is not part of the cabinet. It's a separate piece. Even if the coil is cased and the paint matches, still a separate piece. (laughs) And that gets back to how these tables are made. It's through characterization. Can you talk about that? You probably haven't done that, but you probably have some insights there. Yeah, I haven't done that. But the basic concept is the manufacturers will test a new system. Basically, they'll take the cabinet and they'll put it in their flow lab and they will measure back pressure and airflow created by the blower fan. So they'll adjust the back pressure by creating more or less restriction on the system, which simulates the ductwork that you're hooked up to. And then by measuring the total external static and the airflow, they're able to give you a characterized table for that particular cabinet. And my understanding is that they don't do that for all exact configurations. So that means, for example, there's going to be some amount of variation, especially with the furnace, based on which side of the cabinet the return is coming into. An attic system that's a furnace typically goes into the bottom of the cabinet. In a basement system, you typically go in one side or the other, or sometimes both. And my understanding is that those have will cause some amount of variation. But I still think it's a good method. It's way better than not measuring airflow. And as long as the system's new, it's a pretty reliable way of determining the airflow. Because there are the characterizations probably done with clean, known conditions on all the componentry, which can affect the friction of the air and the airflow. Is that correct? Well, yeah. And it's there's actually two things that happen once a system gets dirty. The first thing is that on a furnace, you need to worry about the secondary heat exchanger getting clogged. And that's deep inside between the blower and the secondary, or sorry, the primary heat exchanger. Buried, yeah. <laughs> yeah, buried in the heart. You have to take the blower fan out to even see it. So if that gets clogged, you've got more resistance than when they characterize the system in the factory. 
And the other thing that happens is, of course, blower wheel itself can accumulate dirt on it. And that will cause the amount of airflow that it can produce to be reduced. And if it's a fan coil system, it's a similar thing, except instead of worrying about secondary heat exchanger, you're worried about the evaporator coil. And so all that can depend on how good is your filtration? Did you seal up between the filter and the cabinet correctly? And all that will impact the blower fan and the table that comes from the manufacturer. And since we're talking ResNet ratings, we're talking new systems. So some of these conditions will be mitigated, but some practitioners who are listening may do this on existing equipment. And that's where the dirt and the clogging really come into play is with systems been installed for a while, or perhaps even construction materials built up if the ductwork's not carefully sealed. Yeah. I don't know how often this happens, but I have heard tell of the sheetrock installer wanting to help the sheetrock mud to dry out quicker. And so they'll hook up the furnace or the air conditioner to help dry out the drywall and joint compound. And in doing so, they can end up sucking a lot of sheetrock dust into a brand new system. So just because the system's new and the house has just finished construction, it's not a guarantee that it's clean. And that would definitely have the potential to affect the airflow characterization that comes from the manufacturer. I don't really know how common that is. I think most HVAC guys try and make sure that the drywall installer can't turn their system on because they know that's a problem. And I want to make sure we give uh, deference to, you're with the Energy Conservatory, TEC, but there's another company, Retrotech, that's in the industry who's a fit competitor for you that makes similar equipment except for the true flip grid. So in terms of the duct leakage tester, what they call their device, they're out there too. But do you have some resources in case listeners want to delve into some of these topics a little bit further? I know you have a website, some videos. Can you describe those? And I'll make sure they're in the show notes. Yeah, especially during COVID, we put together some pretty good videos for the ResNet conference when they were virtual. I believe that information is still out there. And we walk through the details of ResNet 310, how to do the testing and so forth. We're also available by phone. We're really proud of our outstanding technical support team. So if you have questions, feel free to call us, look at the information on the website, or you can email our team directly and reach out to me or Jake McAlpine and Bill Graber are the marketing and sales and support team focused on ResNet slash ratings. will be Chris Hughes if we're talking HVAC. Now, there's also an HVAC website you have? So a new website that we have started creating the last few years is HVACAirflow.com. And that's because we recognize the importance of educating about airflow. You and I have talked about this before, Bill, that measuring airflow is one of the most important and least practiced things that happens with HVAC. And so we're interested in teaching all the methods of measuring airflow some use our equipment, some don't use our equipment, but measuring airflow at all is important enough that we're going to try and do the education, whether it sells our equipment or not. You're committed to the topic of improving the industry, so we really appreciate that. Going back into the flow grid, the reporting that comes out, the digital reporting, are there special reports or customized reports that come out of the app? Yes. So there's three different modes with the TrueFlow app, and I'll start with the ACA 310 mode since that's what we're talking about today. When you begin the test, it's going to ask you which workflow you want. And if you're doing the ACA ResNet 310 test, you choose the 310 mode. And that's going to basically just measure the airflow 
but it will also require you to put in your design airflow because that's how the standard is written. We're not just judging it based on the capacity of the system. The system should have been designed with a particular design airflow in mind. So you have to enter that value. And then when we measure the airflow, we let you know if you're within the tolerance to get grade one, two, or three within the airflow. And it'll say right on the report this, you scored a grade one or grade two. And then if you don't get grade one or two, any airflow that's not close enough is grade three. Very good. Could you mention the other modes in the app? So the other two modes are, I'll start with the most similar. So if you want to look, if you want to only measure the airflow, then there's another mode called airflow only. And that will be very similar measurement to the ResNet 310, where you're just making one static pressure measurement and using that to calculate the airflow. So if you want a quick airflow check, that's the way to go. We'll tell you if you're in the red, yellow, green for airflow. But what I think is really the best workflow for understanding what's going on with the system is to measure static pressure and airflow. And for that workflow, we're going to measure the static pressure of the system in two, three, or four places, depending on what type of system it is. And then we'll measure the airflow as well. And the benefit of that is by measuring the static pressure in different places, we're able to pinpoint what's going on with the system. A real common problem is low airflow. If you do the static pressure and airflow, we can tell you, okay, airflow is too low and it's the filter is too small or clogged, or we might be able to tell you your return duct is undersized or your supply is undersized, or maybe the evaporator coil is just clogged up with dirt and cat hair. For our listeners, if you're talking about doing HVAC grading by ResNet Standard 310, it's only the 310 mode for that score, which compares to the design value. These other two perhaps get into more diagnostic for HVAC technician or repair or maintenance type issues. And even I think the you walked us through, you came out and trained us that time. And it was really sublime. The test, I think it took less than five minutes. Yeah, it doesn't take long. Once you've drilled your holes for, or I should say, installed your pressure measurement ports to measure the pressures, it takes just a few minutes to run the test. I'll share one other thing that's interesting about that complete report is when we set out to make this tool, we wanted to improve the original TrueFlow and make it easier. But we really thought that this was going to be used for setting up new systems in commissioning and for troubleshooting. We thought that was going to be the main focus. But since releasing the product a year ago, we're hearing that this is a great sales tool for HVAC technicians. And the reason is because now you've got an independent third-party authority saying, yeah, it's not the system, it's the ducts. And so that allows the technician to say, look, this report is saying your return ducts are undersized and we need to add more return or we need to put in a bigger filter rack. And so it's helping technicians to be able to make those upgrades that are needed by making the measurements to pinpoint the source of the problem. Very good. We covered a lot here today. And I want to thank you for your time in discussing these aspects of the workflow and the diagnostic methods in so much detail from such great firsthand experience and the tremendous background in this area. Any kind of closing thoughts you'd have, again, directed towards the HERS rater who will be doing these kind of tests in the 310 standard? For a HERS rater, measuring airflow is probably a new thing they haven't done before, but reach out to us, watch the videos, and let us know what we can do to help you. There's HERS points on the line here, so we're hearing 
more and more that builders are interested in getting those additional points and getting the 310 qualification. But we're here to listen to you and let us know what you need to make the measurements. But I will say we're supportive of any of the four methods to help you get the measurements done. But we're hearing from some of our big customers that are getting into it that the true flow is just the easiest way. It's just simpler. It's a process. And you're trying to make difficult but important measurements easier to do, focusing on the accuracy and standing behind the process. Because it's still, there's some human involvement that can move things in terms of the end result. But when you work with more automated equipment, some of that human involvement is removed. You spend more, but you get better quality, more consistency and results. And I think that's some of your goals and the goals of ResNet too, is to get more consistency. Yeah, absolutely. We're trying to make it as easy as possible to get it right. When somebody makes a measurement that's not good, that's kind of bad for all of us, energy raters, manufacturers, whoever's consumer of the test, the builder, not good for anybody. Fantastic. Thanks again, Steve. And there'll be some links in the show notes so you can get in touch with the team and some of the resources that Steve has mentioned in this podcast. Thanks again, Steve. Yeah, happy to be here. Thanks, Bill. I want to thank you for listening to this episode of the Res Talk podcast. If you're pro in the building market, surf on over to resnet.us to learn more or join the email list. You'll also find ResNet on Facebook or Twitter. Quote for today by Maurice Sachi. Simplicity is the outcome of technical subtlety. It's the goal, not the starting point. If you'd like the feedback to ResNet on what you heard here or would like to hear a new topic covered or just have a general question, please send an email to info at resnet.us. If you're not subscribed, please do so. And as always, thank you for listening to Res Talk. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Res Talk podcast. This podcast is hosted by Bill Spohn and is a production of ResNet, the Residential Energy Services Network. The best way to listen to this podcast is to subscribe on an iPhone using the podcast app or on an Android device by downloading the Stitcher app and searching for ResTalk. If you are willing, a review on iTunes or the podcast app will help others find the show and would be very much appreciated. We look forward to talking again soon on ResTalk. Talk.